And so I told Raphael and I was like, man, you know, we were doing pretty good. I was doing really good. And then it just went really south and it didn't just go south. Like Troy just started kicking my ass. It was like, he just started taking every dumb thing. You know, I was doing everything wrong. And I was like, man, have you ever just gotten tired? We just make mistakes like that. And he straight up goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I go like, I was like, well, well, duh, you know? And so I was like, well, what about when you were younger? No. You know, you're probably just kicking everybody's ass all the way up through. Yeah. <laughs> and then oh he did say, then he did kind of backtrack. And it wasn't like, I I haven't had that exhaustion. Now I've had, I've been done with matches that were wars and been physically exhausted, but so were they. And he talked about the Tusa triangle. Okay. Remember that uh-huh. match when he set in it for like three and a half Forever. minutes? Forever, yeah. Three and a half, four minutes, you know, just like how exhausted he was after that but he won yeah you know yeah and then another one with like bernardo it talked about just you know how tired they were like exhausted they they were but that's just it's still not the same thing as like he's never been out there and like giving up a shitty takedown because he couldn't fucking breathe anymore <laughs> so you know <laughs> but did the confidence no <laughs> it was so stone faced, like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but it hasn't happened. Because even if it were, even if it had happened, like, he's like, I would never admit it. Like, I can't, like, I can't acknowledge There's it, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that mindset of if I acknowledge it, then it's real. Yeah. And, and I'm like huffing and puffing, and it's just like, Troy, don't put pace on me. Like, stop coming after me. <laughs> don't get the whole shit of Russian tie. And it's just like, oh, I'm going to get thrown. And then I'm making all these mistakes and salt fatigue. And that's the fun thing of, I don't know. That's the cool thing of like all these things we do where like the chance to get to just learn, whether it's like even shitty learning, good learning, learning from injuries, like whatever it is, really changing our mindset and like embracing, not failure, like embracing win, loss, tie, anything. Like what were the lessons inside there? Yeah. I don't know. That's the weird stuff I guess we start to appreciate and start thinking about as we get older. Well, for me, being around people with that kind of mindset, you know, and especially like this is one of the most beautiful things to me is that I get to get out of the office, right? Because like that's mm-hmm. that's my career is an office yeah. thing with people who the competition is on like a very different level. It's, it can be a very competitive environment, but it's on a very different level. But to have just this like, I hate to use this word, but that more like raw primal kind of competition Mm -hmm. um but that just that physical competitive nature and to be around people with that mindset that's just such a high level high confidence um high appreciation for that hard training yeah that i've never really experienced before and so being able to do that now obviously coming to it much later in life but man it's very fulfilling and that's what's hard to explain to people about like what you love about something like jujitsu and and it, there's a lot of things i think that can fit that that bill but because most people will look at it and be like that looks awful right it just or maybe it conceptually looks fun but then you try it out and you're like no that sucks it's not yeah. a lot of fun but at some point you just it, it gets you in a but all way. these things and we're using jujitsu right now as an example but it's like all these things based on how you perceive and where you take your mindset is you know it's like that might look awful to somebody but it's like it looked awful to me at one time too, but now I've found something that I'm getting out of it and that is carrying over to all these things. And I love when people are talking about jujitsu is really good at this. And maybe it's just because we follow so many jujitsu people. Right. But it's always like 
jujitsu makes everything in life better. Like it carries over to your life. It carries over to business stress and stuff. And I believe everything has that can carry over obviously. But now looking at what are the ways that jujitsu to you more recently as these years have gone by and you've really started learning the appreciation of training and like doing all those things like what does jujitsu 100% do for you in other aspects of your life? You know, I think for me, there's been a carryover to just physically how I feel in life, um, where I can now go do other physical activities and I feel like I'm capable of really competing with somebody. Like, cause you know, I play beach volleyball as well mm -hmm. and I feel much more confidence going out and like competing with people in that. And it's got that carryover where like, I don't get the nerves or anything like that. It's like, I'm ready to go out and I'm ready to compete and I'm ready to fight, you know? And just in general, I just feel like just sort of that confidence that you get being able to stand in front of people and talk. Cause you know, I have to do a lot of that as well. Um, like in fact, just these last two days, I taught two classes that were all day classes yeah. and that is mentally exhausting. It's physically exhausting, oddly enough, you know, standing in front being on, but having that background of like going through the difficult, the, 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 the grind of it, it kind of lets you grind a little bit harder in everything. And it does physically prepare your body to grind through things where other people are getting tired doing stuff. It's weird. You don't have to. It's know? weird because you're getting fatigued and doing something not athletic but you're still having to dig down inside to the same places you go when professors on top of you smashing you mm -hmm. and it is totally physical but in both those places we have to we we learn to find these areas inside of ourselves and we learn to find whether it's confidence or just a way to perceive things um and then even the the humbleness of just learning to tap, like learning that you don't win every time mm -hmm. and that you can lose out in life and competitions and, you know, whatever it is. And it's okay because like you get another chance to fight, you get another chance to, to compete or do whatever it is. I don't know. It, it is cool. It's also given me the confidence in a way to like explore some areas of myself that I didn't, that I don't like to um, I mean, I've talked before about how like m one of my biggest hurdles in going into a competition is, is not going in and feeling like, is my jujitsu good enough? Mm -hmm. I've never felt like I'm not technical enough compared to the people that I'm competing against. That's never been the issue, but it's been those nerves getting out of my own head, that negative self-talk. And it's forced me to confront some of those things that you don't really want to, you know, you'd rather just sort of like run away from it and not think about it, but it's given me that opportunity and sort of forced me into it because it's like the reason I started doing more competitions truly, I mean, a lot of it was peer pressure, you know, it's like yeah. people like Vaughn and Seth and these guys like, dude, you got to come, you got to sign up. Come compete. Absolutely. And it's like, I don't want to, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And then you realize where your, your gaps are. And for me, so much of it was mental. And then figuring out how do I help fix that? And so exploring some of those places where I can be exploited or that I don't have the confidence or again, filling those holes in my life that could extend to other things. Because if I get nervous before a jujitsu competition, maybe I also get nervous public speaking, but that's coming from the same place. You know what I yeah, mean? And so yeah. if I can fix it over here, it'll help me fix it in this other area yeah, as well. I get that same feeling. If I can get out there and, and break those fears, uh, especially if it's talking about fitness or something in front of people, it's like, 
you love, you signed up for this. Like you can get this. Yeah. Like you've gotten through that. You can get through this. It is, it is cool. And it's, it's been interesting how exercise did that for me for a long time. And then I, I think I hit like this time in my life where I kind of balanced them back and forth and like exercise was fueling me and it was giving me my, my addiction and my, my drug of choice. And then this jujitsu thing, I was like trying to fit in there and keep it going. And it's really interesting how I had to almost feel how one was becoming a negative and I had to let that go and dive into the other to kind of just let that art or let that next thing in life take, take over me, you know, create the challenges, create the, because in fitness, although you could say I was disciplined, it was easy. Like it was easy to go train every day. Like I got to a mental level where most people can't get to, and that's why it's hard and they want to take a day off or whatever. For me, it was like the exact opposite, but I didn't have that in jujitsu. And I couldn't get that in jujitsu and I wanted to be better. And I, but I also wanted just my physical side, my exercise side to just be a big gap and get me there when I wanted to force it in. So I don't know, it's kind of a weird winded time of like learning. Okay. I need to let one thing go and I need to get out of my comfort zone because I'm too comfortable over here. I can train and do all this shit all day long, but it's not bringing me value and it's not teaching me lessons that are like enhancing my life or you know, improving my ability to do other things in life. And not to say that jujitsu is going to be the thing that, that is going to be the thing that does that from here on out. Mm-hmm. That is, I'm always going to do it. I will always be a jujitsu person. I'm never going to quit. We will be black belts together one day and it's going to be wonderful. But there's, there's always going to be something that's going to keep coming around. And that's, it's always yeah. fun to kind of contemplate. So this, you, you said something in a way where, the, there's a lot of talk about how people grow from discomfort and being in an uncomfortable place. And I don't, Mm. I characterize it in a little bit different way because like you said something where you were like, I could still go to the gym and be uncomfortable, but it wasn't necessarily creating the same kind of growth. Right. It It, wasn't uncomfortable now. Yeah. Or comfortable, uncomfortable, but it was like, yeah. So it's like, it's uncomfortable because I can still push myself on all those sorts of things, but you weren't vulnerable. And I think that's the difference mm-hmm. is that like, it's really the vulnerability that creates the growth where you're not just, it's not just uncomfortable. It's a hell that I'm going through. It's, it's that, you know, Oh, it's hard. And I'm going to push myself harder. And again, nothing against David Goggins, but that idea of like, I, I'm just going to push harder and push harder and push yeah. harder. Well, at some point, like you've pushed as hard as you can go. Yes. It's uncomfortable, but not in a way that creates growth where the, it's the vulnerability, that fear, that, uh, discomfort from a, a vulnerable perspective that really creates that growth where you learn 100%. to be like, okay, I'm going to have to expose myself, open myself up here and feel whatever this is. And I'm going to grow through that. And so I look at it in a sense of like vulnerability. And so now it's like, I'm opening myself up to this other thing that creates that sense of discomfort through being vulnerable. That's going to really, man, man, create that I, openness and growth. I think you just came complete circle there. That's, that's really well put because like the David Goggins, we're not picking on him, but it does come to an end. And the vulnerability of that is to realize that it's coming to an end and that you have to be vulnerable somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, yeah, that's exactly what happened in exercise. It just, it just didn't give me that. And then jujitsu did. And now jujitsu still is, but jujitsu's 
changed. Like it's interesting how it's changed on me, even in the last year and a half. And and now it's changed the way I look at exercise completely. And because now I realize that like biomechanics and doing things as correct as you can as an individual, it really matters. Like we can get by, we can do things, we can get by with stuff, of course, for the rest of our life. But combat really shows you something that skill sets matter Mm. and techniques matter. You know, we both know a lot of techniques that Professor Raphael knows. It's just way better at it than we are. <laughs> you feel that difference? And when there's it's a like- difference. And it's like, you know, you guys are doing bicep curls, and so did Jay Cutler and Ronnie Coleman. They did the same bicep curls you did. They, they got something different out of it. They've learned, you know, deep inside about angles and mechanics and yeah. all that. And, and that's what's really given me, like, this really cool outlook back on on fitness is like, man, no, we really just need to become obsessed with moving and and moving correctly, whether it's resistance training, then we need to be able to apply like proper movement to, to our ability. I'm not saying there's a one size fits all. Everybody's unique, but that's the beauty behind these arts is being able to find your uniqueness and express it through different stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. It, in a long answer to all this, jujitsu is has opened many doors like back into my life, but it's really helped me see exercise and just to see the simplicity of it because what kicks ass the basics. Yeah. And that's why I love that we are under professor Raphael, who's pushing timeless jujitsu. That's his baby now. And, uh, because that's the cool thing to look at. I love when all this stuff goes on. I like to know that like Shanji, you know, solo Raphael, even Haja Gracie, like the OGs can still lay the smack down with the day one bicep curl. Yeah. And that's what we got to remember in the gym. Yeah. Hit those fundamentals and perfect them because it is, it, it, they say, right. It was practice makes perfect and it's no perfect practice makes mm-hmm. perfect. And like how you do anything is how you do everything. And like, there's all these cliches that are out there that, that tell us that. And what's interesting is you talked about like, you started like over the last year and a half. And that sort of made me think too about how there are some things that we will approach that we just accept that it's going to be a long-term growth prospect. And like people come into jujitsu and if they're, if they're going to stick it up, they, they recognize like, this is a thing that's going to change over years and it's going to take years for me to learn and grow right. and get better. But then dog, bark, barking dogs in the back there. That's uh, good. We support the animals. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, some things that you'll, would be able to speak to is people that get into fitness and it's like, Oh, they want the four week program when the reality is that what you want, your goal, the object you're pursuing, you need the two year program, not the four week program. Like that's what you want because you want to get the two year results out of a four week program. And for some reason, it seems like there's a lot of not approaching it in that same mindset of like, this is going to take time. Um, and I think that yeah. goes for, you know, maybe something we were, we'd kind of been talking about was, was weight loss, right? Mm-hmm. That's that same kind of deal that if that's your goal, like if, if you're following the path, that's like, oh, you can do all this in four weeks or whatever, mm-hmm. it's going to come back just as quick. So there's a lot of interesting things to that. It's kind of like you're, everybody's capable to take a shortcut. Shortcuts work. Um, 
you know, the four week fat loss diet. If you just want to get serious and go gung ho, like, yeah, you can lose some weight. You can lose some fat. There's all these shortcuts that do work. Do they work forever? No. Are they, they're not sustainable. And so that's the thing that a shortcut, it gets you one step further really quickly, but ultimately brings you like three steps back. Because then when that ends, it's kind of like, okay, well, how do I, you just need another shortcut because you don't know what's going on because you haven't really respected whatever it is you're doing. And if it's in the case of fat loss, you haven't just said, okay, like, let me, instead of doing this crash diet really quick or this, you know, hardcore caloric deficit for four weeks and, and lose some weight, let me look at the bigger picture here. Be okay with where I am today because that's, that's where I am. I'll probably still be close to this in four weeks, but if I start to get some shit together in four weeks and really reevaluate my basis, my lifestyle, the things that I know I'm not doing right that are going to have to be right down the line to keep things sustainable and to make the shortcut even worthwhile a year from now, you're going to have to have all that stuff together. And in jujitsu shows us that, right? We know people with flashy moves and they know all the new moves, but they don't have the basics down. And I love going back to our lineage is we just smash through those motherfuckers and we just beat them down with, with the basics. And that's the same thing in fat loss and in this, you know, in the, on the fitness side of things, it's like, and you've got to, you have a choice. Do you want to create sustainable fat loss and really make a change for yourself for the long haul? Or do you want that quick result that then is going to leave you obviously maybe in a better position, but it's not going to have sustainability. It's not going to have, you know, better outcomes coming out of that. It's actually going to lead to a little bit more confusion and a little bit more problems. And the hard part about that is that's just human choice. Like that's where we have to be real with ourselves and we have to actually kind of, you know, have that self-talk. Like, what am I doing this for? Like, am I really doing this for health and for me to be leaner and fat loss for a long time? Or are we going to Cancun in six weeks and like, I've kind of fucked up and like, all right, I get it. I get it. You know, like, let's get you lean and like, let's do some things that can help you get there fast. Maybe you look good. And hopefully that inspires you to come back and make those other changes and then go forward. But eventually you're going to have to address those, that baseline level that's going to be, you know, your, the foundation of your home, the foundation of you mm-hmm. going forward. If you don't change that, shortcuts won't last. So that's, I don't know, I always think that's an interesting thing when people are always asking questions and shortcuts or, you know, supplements or things always come up. And I've felt like over the last couple of years, I've really kind of been lost because I, I love all these shortcuts and I love all these dietary like tactics and I love all that stuff. That's the stuff that like makes it interesting. But then I kind of felt like, wait, am I supposed to be telling the truth or am I supposed to just be like making, giving advice that makes people feel good about what they want? You know what I mean? And it's, it's so it's been hard to kind of differentiate that. And I've taken the stance over the last couple of years that now I 100% believe in, I 100% stand behind, and it is what I'm going to be pushing for the rest of my life is going to be like, if you don't have your basics, 
down, whether it's be nutritionally or movement wise or strength wise, like whatever it is in the fitness in, if you do not have your basics down, you're skipping a step. And all of the mentors and the like the inspiring coaches that I look up to, it's more evident every time I look at their stuff, every time they continue to age and get a little older and get a little wiser, it's like, dude, this shit, we have to hammer this home. And so incense, anybody listening and anybody with that kind of like really trying to make a change, like you're better off to just start back from square one and build that thing up and ride it out over the long haul than you are on, you know, taking any shortcut or doing anything like that. Yeah. That's been my experience learning from you and, and those, those early two years of training with you really were, I feel like all about like skill acquisition almost, right? It was like learning to move correctly, learning to do all the things the right way. But in terms of if my goals were to, okay, I want to put on some healthy weight and I want to, you know, get stronger and all these things that there was a little bit of that, but the real growth didn't come until after, you know, I'd been doing it for a while. And then it was like, okay, now I'm at a place where I can do the things the right way. My body's now adapted to it a little bit to where I can maybe do a little bit more and not feel so broken down, you know, and that just took a lot of time. There was just a lot of slow growth. And it's like, I don't think I... I mean, because you put me at the beginning there and I wanted the same thing. I wanted the four-week plan. I wanted the the yeah. quick results or whatever. And it's only like looking in backwards that you're like, oh, it, it actually took a long time. And whether that's jujitsu or otherwise, because now I look back to where was I seven years ago almost when I started to now. And it's like, oh my gosh, you forget how much you've you've grown, how far you've come. And you're like, how much... How much Ooh. stronger, better am I that guy? Yes. How bad would I kick that guy's ass from day yeah. one? So we have a mutual friend that we train jiu-jitsu with, and we train in the gym. And um, he's been resistance training for the first time in his life. You know who I'm talking about for a couple of years now. Um, but last, that Saturday, when we did that kettlebell thing, when I talked to him in the gym, like on Monday or Tuesday, it was kind of like, wow, man, like watching some of those people try that stuff was, you know, whoa, like they were not very good. And it's like, no, dude, that's how good you've gotten. Like you don't understand that you were an extension of a coach for me in there. And so it was like a direct learning experience of him. It's like, wow, I have actually gotten a lot better with this stuff. And it's like, but you didn't feel like it. You know, we're our tribe is our tribe. So you just kind of feel like you're on the same trajectory you've been on. And then when you look to the outside and you realize like, no, I've been putting intention and thought and years with the basics. And then when I go into a thing where we get a group of people of all sorts of fitness levels and ability, there were some big jacked, strong people in there, you know, there's all sorts of stuff and he sees it. He sees like, wow, like, I've really done good for myself. Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes, you know, whether it be, you know, tr- nutrition or strength training. I, I had a conversation with somebody. I think this is a really cool thing. And there's several different ways to look at this. Like, let's just look at it from a fat loss thing or we're talking about like maintenance and in, in calories and stuff. So we have a hypothetical human here and it's that person, their maintenance calories is 2000 calories. Okay. So, for them to maintain life and maintain where they're at, they need to eat 2,000 calories or right around there every day and be consistent with that. Now, if we want to gain 
some mu- muscle. We want to gain, we want to bulk. The four-week shortcuts and all the shortcut and trendy things over the years is like, it's just eat, 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 and put some freaking weight on. But then when you look at science, you start to realize like, okay, when me bulking up, I want to gain muscle. Like I would try, I want to minimize as much adipose tissue, as much fat as I can to accumulate. And I can't be naive. I am going to gain a little bit of fat because I'm going to have to be in a surplus. So ultimately, I want to take that 2,000 calories and I want to eat about 2,200, 2,250, maybe 2,500. Okay. So not very much of a big step up because that is fueling tissue. That's just enough of a surplus to start to build some muscle. But we take that to three. I'm going to be fucking hardcore. Like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get there. Cool. You're going to get farther faster, but we're both going to gain the same amount of muscle. Like, look at the science. Like, muscle grows at certain rates. Like, you know, fat will definitely grow way faster than muscle. So these people who just want to take the shortcut to getting bigger, putting on some muscle, end up, if they jump too high up, they get asshole about it. They put on more fat than muscle, which actually has a negative hormonal response towards muscle. So the worse you start to go down that road, the more hormonally you are in a storage type position and not a tissue building type position. So it's more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's more disciplined. It's more, um, I mean, it's just, it's straight up like right above the baseline is where the magic happens. If we go a little bit too far, that's where things start to become a more extreme and bad things happen when extreme things happen too long. Let's take it on the flip side. We want to lose some weight and we want to lose some fat. Okay. Everybody has to keep in mind. Everybody knows that as we age, the number one thing we want to maintain is lean tissue. I'm not saying jacked like a bodybuilder, but nobody wants to continue aging and losing muscle tissue. Like that is nobody's ever in any way against longevity. Exactly. I think any person in the history of mankind ever said, you know what I'd like to do? Lose some muscle. We need that as long (laughs) as we can. Okay. So now, but we want to lose some fat and we're sick and tired of being overweight. So 2000 calories is our maintenance. If I just go down to a thousand calories every day and get hardcore, I'm going to lose all this, some weight. Certainly you're going to start to lose weight. Now, again, it's the same sort of thing. You went to the extreme. So what starts to happen there? Well, your body says, dude, I'm starving. Like you are literally not playing this game very good and just keeping me slightly underfed. You're keeping me underfed and you're being an asshole. And now you want me to burn fat, but fat is what's fueling me. I'm going to hold on to that and I'm going to eat that damn muscle there because that shit's good. It's dense. You know, that's that's the... what the muscle's what's going to fuel it in that situation. Yeah. So you're counterproductive again because you've gone too far. You just haven't been is you're hardcore, but you're not disciplined and responsible. You just went for that quick thing. So let me bring it back. 2,000 calories, we need to lose a little bit of fat. So we go down maybe 200, 250 calories up to that 500 like I mentioned earlier. Now we're at 1,500 to 1,750 in those calories. And guess what? Predominantly, we will preserve more muscle and we will burn adipose tissue. 
So when you kind of look at it like that, it's like, oh, well, this makes total sense. This really is kind of like the recipe for life. It's like, you know, get your shit together, find out what your maintenance is, like live your life with a balanced, good schedule here. You need to improve something, put on a little bit of size or something, then you're objectively responsible and you actually just put enough calories to do the job and not way too many to cause more problems. And the same goes on the flip side. Now, look at that in resistance training. So I had a buddy, another guy we trained with, got to, on a single arm dumbbell row, got to the 100 pound dumbbell. Of course, I saw him like, hey, he's got the 100 pound dumbbell, of course he would. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a good thing. Now, I kind of wanted to shit on him for a minute, but he did a good job with it. He did do, do really good. But my, my lesson to him, and hopefully he'll think about this, is where are you going to go? Like you and I lift on the same dumbbell rack and I've been lifting for 20 years. So like, are you you the 1% that's literally going to have to get more dumbbells made? Do you need the one fifties now? Like, you know, you got there so fast. So you start thinking of like, wait a minute, what if I could use, what if I could get way more out of that 70 than I'm even getting out of the hundred? And then I also have more room to grow, you know, over time. Mm-hmm. So what I mean with that is you start to look at like progressive overload. So I need you to dumbbell bench press. Let's say you bench press 40 pound dumbbells for 10 reps. And that's kind of like, all right, that's my 10. We need progressive overload to get stronger and to elicit strength and or muscular gains or anything. We need progressive overload, but we need to be responsible again here. You could go to 50s your next session. Cool. Then you could go to 60s, maybe your following session. That rate is probably going to slow down two or three weeks. You're not going to be able to go very far, mm-hmm. especially making jumps like that. Or you could say, at most, I'm only going to go to the 45s. Or maybe I'll even stay at the 40s, but I'll start to employ some variables. And maybe it's just like more time under tension, a pause here and there. Slower um, reps. You know, exactly. Could be more reps, things. whatever it is. So like you found ways to progress slowly while we're still kind of staying right in that responsible zone. Now, the beautiful thing behind that is that all of a sudden you went to, let's say you did the 45s and you did those really nice and you're like, okay, I can, I can even hang out here for two weeks and I'll slow the next week's uh, reps down by adding a pause a little bit. And that's just, that's my kind of my planned way of progression. So then all of a sudden it's the third or fourth week when you actually get to the fifties, when it was week two, when you jumped there the first time. Now, my point to this is what you get from that progressive overload from that 40 to 45 pound can essentially be everything and more that you get by jumping to the 50s. But that five pound thing is just junk mileage. You're already stacking junk because we're just not, oh, we're not, uh, our ego gets involved too much. We're not humble enough to be like, wait a minute, yeah, it's cool. I could go up 10 pounds. I won't be able to do that as long. So I'm just gonna go slower and I'm gonna keep getting the actual same progressive overload stimulus but I'm doing it in a, in a manner in which I can sustain for longer periods of time. And I'm 
putting less wear and tear on my body. Because another thing is when you jump to that 50, we got to always remember as we just jump up and wait so fast, muscles are one thing. Tendons and ligaments are another mm. thing. And if everybody does a quick Google search of how fast mus- muscles can get stronger and how fast it takes like ligaments and tendons to catch up to that sort of stuff. So now you've already kind of started changing variables in there. You might just be putting more wear and tear in the body for the same amount of gain. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, and and th- here's the problem from somebody, I can like speak to this as to like where that problem comes from to some degree is I forget that I can do that. Like I forget about the variables other than the number on the weight, mm-hmm. because to me, it's like, oh, I want to go a little bit harder today. So that means I'm going to come in and lift more weight today, as opposed to, well, maybe I'm going to come in, do the same weight, but change other variables, pace, reps, whatever. And maybe reps, like people will get like, okay, I can do more or less, but that pace, when, 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 when we come in and you're like, all right, we're going to do a three second eccentric and we're going to pause for one second and then we're going to come in and that's how you're going to do all your reps. And you're like, oh, I forget about that. And also my immediate thought is, oh, these are going to suck. <laughs> Where I'm like, no, but I could just go in and just smash out 10 pounds Which more. Which is a weird thing because you want a savage anyway. Yeah, right. You but want then it. we start saying, well, that's too much savagery. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really uncomfortable to go slow. And you're like, that's 100%. not the kind of savagery 100%. I want. So a great example of this, like with this last little three-week block we did in the class, is I've been trying to kind of been looking and I'm thinking like, how do you guys, you guys have got to understand progressive overload, but nobody really understands um, how to like, nobody's in the, in the class I'm talking about, nobody is there to like, try to like really increase the poundages they're lifting and stuff. Sure. Right. Yeah. So it's like, how do I get them to understand progressive overload, but they're not really in search of like getting super strong, you know? So then it's like, okay, well, here's a perfect example of what you're going to do. The first week over the course of three sets, we're going to work up to a good solid heavy set of eight. We're going to find our, a good, like that was a good, comfortable set of eight. And maybe we're doing a dumbbell bench press again. And Jeff did 20s, 30s, and 40s. And 40s felt great. And he's like, all right, 40s for eight felt good. Okay, week two. Once you do a couple warm-up sets to warm up to that eight rep, that 40-pound thing that you found. Now let's do all three working sets at 40 pounds. Now we just progressively overloaded volume with that in a, in a big way. And a lot of times that's where people are going to start to find like they got like eight, seven, six, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, man, that was, that was good enough. That's the kind of stuff where you judge if you went way too low, if you, if you got like eight, six and three, then it's like, all right, you were an asshole with that eight. You got to learn how to <laughs> kind of, you know, figure that out. But it's like, man, I was able to find a good weight and now I'm able to challenge it with some volume. Okay, well then week three, I had them go back to basically doing the three sets they did in week one, 20, 30, 40. But on that 40 pound, eight rep weight we found in week one, now week three, we're gonna take it for as many reps as we can. So let's see now how many how many you can truly get with this. And then you have real like evidence so like a objective like oh man i knew that volume and stuff was there because there's a lot of times people can get to these loads but then when you ask them to like do it under certain you know 
work to rest ratios or do all the working loads and all the working sets at that load, then they can't do it. And that's where you can teach and sh they, you show them like, okay, well, there's room to build up before we keep going. And it's building up all these aspects and all these different variables is actually going to be giving you the better stimulus, the better progressive overload than just jumping up and being, you know, kind of taking the shortcut or being an asshole about it. But it really lets you like kind of honor where you're at at that point, because like it's one thing to be able to go in and like be a goon and, and mm -hmm. put up a certain amount of weight or whatever and be like, yeah, you know, it's that old like high school mentality, like what's your max bench press? And it's like mm -hmm. really crappy form on a really good day. And what can I go and just like rip out the biggest goon rep right. I can versus, okay, what is my actual like functionally speaking, like what kind of work can I actually do? Cause that like one rep maxing isn't like actual work you're doing. It's the, yeah. You know, so think about the, uh, the Bulgarians back in the day with like the Olympic lifters and stuff. Um, it's just these enormously strong men and they still are, they still do the same stuff today, but it's like most of the, most of the training for strength is done between like 70 and 85%. And even like the Bulgarians were known for having what they did like daily maxing out, like the max out like every day, let's say. Now, when I learned that when I was young is exactly how I know everybody else perceives this because I've been there. I've tried it. It breaks you down. You're like, how the fuck do they do it? Are they just on steroids or something? Like what happens? No. They're hitting responsible daily maxes. What's the most I as a professional lifter can lift every day where I don't have to get arousal, use stimulants, get all fucking crazy, slap myself. Because guess what? We'll just chip away at these for years and years and years. And I can just walk away, come back the next day, want to go train jujitsu. I can because I'm owning this and I'm not destroying myself. And then the day you tell me to go, the day you put some nose torque, a little ammonia up in my nose and slap the shit out of me. And you put the fear, the vulnerability on the platform of other people around or, you know, dude, you're, 20% better, you know, super compensation happens. And that's when, that's where the magic happens. And I think we're, we live in a world now where we do too much that we can't get enough out of super compensation. We can't get enough out of like actual recovery days, allowing us to do more. You know, we, we in theory that's there. Oh yeah. We need a recovery day. We'll be able to come back stronger. Dude, we are so, we see that. How many people like really come back stronger and stuff? They're just like, usually they're more tired because they took a day off. Yeah. And that just shows you, you're just in this cyclical, just like, right. Like you need a week junk. off. You need to be able to, <laughs> to. Yeah. And you know, Charlie Francis, the late, great Charlie Francis, one of, if anybody's interested in, in speed training, uh, Charlie Francis is one of the most incredible people to study of all time. He was way, 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 way ahead of the game. And um, one of his things was when you enter the weight room, if you cannot get 1% better on an exercise than you were the last time, and we're talking big exercise here, we're not talking little hit circuits and stuff. I'm like, let's say you had a sprinter and you were doing a front squat with them. And it's like, if you can't come in and be 1% better than you were, then we don't not train, but we do what Paul Check as coined in, as working in. So although he was training some of the world's best sprinters and Ben Johnson, if he found a day where 
uh, you're not going to be able to get 1% better. So we're going to run tempo runs. We're going to do some core work. Like we're going to handle the system and not destroy the system. We're going to work with the system. And that way, I mean, we're always training. We're always working. We're always burning calories, whatever it is. And they're not thinking that. But you know what I'm saying? They're still training. But they don't fucking put the pedal to the metal unless real shit can happen. We put the pedal to the metal on everything we do, and we don't value the other other stuff. And even when we try to value it, it's recovery or whatever, we go all the way to the other end on that too. You know, all of a sudden somebody's like, I need to start sauna for recovery. And you know, they're going to find like a 200 degree sauna and just sit in there all day and talk about how epic their thing was. I mean, that's just what we do. Listening to Joe Rogan, doing a little bit too much of that. Exactly. (laughs) They hear the Laird Hamilton stories and it's like, uh, Laird Hamilton has exercised and lived this lifestyle for years, for his entire life. The things that, you know, the days off that you take, they don't exist in those people's worlds. And that is kind of an interesting thing to think about because these are the influencers that you're getting your fat loss, your new, you know, whatever it is, these are the people that you're kind of holding on a pedestal. And I don't, that's why I've joked to you in the past and stuff. I'm not on a huge pedestal, but it's like, dude, I mean, if I really told you like my training volume and for years and like some of the shit that I have done, it's like, (laughs) Good Lord, you know, but it's like, that's who and what I was like, didn't deviate away from it. You can't just jump into those things. And so kind of coming back full circle, where we're talking about fat loss, you know, we have to be responsible and we have to find our maintenance level of calories and we have to figure out how that fits into our life and make that work first. Mm -hmm. Because the first thing, whether you want to lose weight or gain weight, and if you're in like a messed up position, the first thing is to figure out your first position and you better have a maintenance type position where you're not gaining or losing weight where you're staying as is. And then you're like, okay, I found it. I'm here. I've kind of switched all my bullshit foods. Now I'm at real foods here. I've got this going and now I'm ready to take the step. And which step is it? Is it up or is it down the ladder? But it goes one step at a time. You can't jump 10 steps up and 10 steps or 10 steps down. You might be able to do that once or twice. I'd be able to do it, but if you didn't do what I just said first, you're really fucked. You're going to run out real quick. 100%. Yeah. That's just understanding, I guess, progression and progressive, whether it's progressive overload or progressive weight loss or whatever it is, that idea of progression is reasonable, step by step, Mm -hmm. not being an asshole about it, and Mm -hmm. finding all the variables. Because I think that, that, that point you made about the variables aren't just add more weight. The variables are timing and tempo and reps and, and all yeah. these various things and yeah. how many working sets and all that plays into these variables. And there's and a million of them. Where do the variables go in, in the nutrition like we're talking about? Well, you, this maintenance sounds boring and you wanted to lose weight, but you're mad because I want to keep you at maintenance for a couple of weeks when you think you should be going down. But what if we've been at maintenance for a while? And you've done due diligence there. And that now, instead of starting the deficit, what if I can play with variables at the maintenance to start progression? So now we can, this would be a perfect time to talk about intermittent fasting. All these things that we get high on, they have value when they're used in the right context. 
So now maybe I could employ a little bit of intermittent fasting and I could still have this person eat 2000 calories, but I've changed a variable in their day and maybe their metabolism, their body, their metabolic function kind of, it's, it's a little wrench. It's different. Although it's the same total calories in, it might have a little bit of change in like being able to make them more metabolically flexible, which helps them burn body fat better. And it might just not do anything, but put them in a better position when we do take that first step down. All of a sudden I take them down to 1800 calories and boom, we've done things, you know? So progressions and variables, even if you're in the same range, like matter, like there's so much that can happen. So there's so many ways to progress and progression is the key. But it's constant, slow progression that is the sustainable thing that gives us the value in the end. And when we try to jump the gun, it doesn't work forever. And it all starts from a baseline, fundamental, healthy place, whether that's I've now set a baseline of my maintenance eating where I've taken, okay, I'm at the right calories and now I'm at the right quality of food or I understand this movement. Mm-hmm. And so now I have a baseline fundamental skill wow. of this movement. And now I can progress from you there. You understand the movement to then you're like, no, okay, now I understand the movement. Like I really get it. And now I can start playing and doing things and really, and it's the same with the diet. And I think that's a really cool way of looking at this is where it's like, when you build that base, no matter what it is, like, that's the time in which all like the real discipline happens and that where you really learn like this is the secret guys if you're wanting to learn how to get lean and stay lean and be able to control yourself for the long term where you're starting from is going to dictate a lot because some of you are unfortunately going to start from a way farther away place and your journey is going to look a lot different than you know somebody else's journey who doesn't have near as much adipose tissue and all that kind of stuff. But you better come to grip that you are who you are. You can't be somebody else. You went a hundred miles into the woods. You can have to come a hundred miles back out. Like this is reality. So when you accept that and you start to say, okay, I'm going to build this base and you start to say, all right, now I've, I've been doing 2000 calories. I've kind of figured this out. I really, now I don't even need to measure. We haven't talked about measuring, but it is great. I'm one that likes to teach intuitive eating, but you can't learn intuitive eating unless you take a little bit of time. It doesn't have to be months. It could be a week or even two weeks. Give yourself two weeks by a scale and just kind of start to see, oh shit, this is actually where I'm at now. This is 2000 calories. This is kind of around. I'm making sure that I'm getting my protein in and then whatever that number is, the remaining of the calories is the beautiful part of nutrition. So let's say that we needed, um, oh, 100 grams of protein, okay? So this person's eating 2,000 calories. They need 100 grams of protein a day. That is 400 calories, four, four, uh, four calories to a gram of protein. So there's 400 calories that are coming from protein. So we have 1,600 calories remaining at that maintenance position. Now, do you want to go keto? you want to go... 40, 30, 30, like you want to go high carb, low fat. You heard all the things out there they've sold you on. Pick it. You got your protein in check and you have 1600 calories to allocate to what makes you feel good. Some people thrive on carbs. Some people are like, man, when I go more of a protein fat and, 
you know, and the rest of those 1600 calories are more fat dominant than they say, I have more mental clarity and all this stuff you hear. We hear all this stuff. This is what we jump on. So there's your chance to get to play with that stuff. But now what happens when you start to understand what 2000 calories in your daily, like now you've kind of come to grips, you know, different types of foods, you kind of know how to, to maintain that. And now you can get away from the scale and you can, I can keep this up, you know? So then what happens? Life happens over time. If you went on vacation, you had a little too much fun, you had a weekend, went to the football game, tailgated, you know, like, ooh, I'm throwing some dents in here. You have control now. Like, you know, I, I know with that decision, I stepped up a little bit, but I know that I can pull it down a tiny bit and make up for that. And I know how to do that intuitively because I know what my baseline is. So if I ever really fall off the wagon, where I go back to is baseline and baseline is should be a happy, healthy, you know, your place. So if you take the time and you live that life and kind of stay in those zones and it sounds crazy, but it's like you just find your baseline and you really learn how to live there. Then you intuitively have the power to take a step up and down anytime you need to. And you start to notice like, I've been an asshole too much. I'll go back down a little bit. And you can start to intuitively play that game back and forth. And that is what the fitness influencers and the professionals and all of us do. We're just on top of our baseline. So you see all of us go party and do things on the weekend and drinking beers. And it's like, how do they get to do it? It's because they're, they make up for it on other ends. I guarantee you, you know, you don't see their Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and they don't torture themselves. They just do the sensible things. They start playing this balancing game back and forth. How much do I want to live a fun part of my lifestyle? I'm aware what that's going to take. It might take away a little bit of my, you know, abs or this or that, but they know, they know they can pull it right back down because they're in control. And the same happens, you know, with our weights. If you're really understanding your loads, you're progressing and, you know, taking true deloads or time off, which is taking steps up, taking steps down. It's just the same as the fat loss. So I think the, the most interesting thing when I started really kind of connecting all these things together is that there is always a base. There's always a foundation that we need to be at that is, is good for us, that's keeping us where we want to be. But then we're in control of being able to play up and down in that. And our control's got to be, we got to take our ego and our, you know, those sort of things out of it. Cause it's like, if you go up too much, you got to come down a little bit, but you're in control. And your ups and downs are more a smooth wave going up and down rather than like, a uh, like the heart monitors in the hospital that are these like sharp peaks and downs oh. and peak, you know, when it hits the, the, you know what I'm talking about? The- these are the ups and downs that we strive to get to psychologically. These are the ups and downs at which we're, we've battled the mind games of like body image and stuff. Now it's like, no, I'm comfortable to be able to go to the lake with you for the 4th of July and drink some beers and eat some hot dogs and shit because it's not going to be the end of the world for me. Like, I might gain a little bit of body fat, but dude, I'll be back down in a week because I'll take control of that because I'm, I'm making a decision. And I also have a foundation upon which I'm making that decision on. And I know the easy ways to go up and down. I'm staying out of this toxic back and forth extremes and the more you're in those toxic back and forth extremes the more you lose sight of the middle because the middle doesn't exist you've fucked it up too much you know your hormones are too messed up one way both ways 
And then it's, then you're in a cascading thing. And that's, if people, you look up like, especially females in the fitness industry and uh, in like physique shows, and you will see a world of death. You will see a world of all those girls that you, you might be idolizing that you want to look like. There's a lot of them who have very fucked up health and are very messed up. And like, literally, they might still be muscular and stuff and, and lean and look good, but they are a wreck. And they don't even know how far they've gotten themselves down these addictions to get out. And it's just, it's a mess. And that's why in the aesthetic um, industry on that side of like fitness, dude, there are seemingly very few coaches who were like real deal, you know, there's guys out there like Lane Norton, Lane Norton, love him or hate him. He talks a lot of shit because he talks a lot of, a lot of good shit, but Lane Norton's type of guy that you can look up and it's, it's, is talking about like, if you are training figure competitors and stuff like this, and you're doing these types of extreme cardio, extreme caloric and deficits and stuff like you are fucking people up and they do. And the majority of coaches in that industry what they're doing and that's what they do they don't know how to be professionals because it's hard man the person teaching it has to has to have had mastered it too you know and that was a big learning developing me is even when i was training like way too like i had an addiction and i was taking it as far as i could go i still was doing a lot of shit correctly and doing a lot of really good stuff so when i pushed that on everybody else it's it's great like I was actually doing a better job than, than most people. But then as I started to kind of get control of my own emotions, my own psychological attachment to a lot of these things, I started realizing like, oh, like, wait a minute. Like I have to be able to control this stuff so that I can really teach somebody to understand it. Because if I'm a mess, I can't teach somebody how to be, you know, how to get their shit together. And so and I will be point blank honest here. Like the at the leanest times and the the times that I was in the best shape and the leanest of my life, I've told you guys before, but that was the most depressed I've ever been. And that was the most time I was like hardcore restricted. Like I didn't balance things very well. I went too far this way on those epic cheat meals and I went too far this way to make sure those epic cheat meals could still exist. And then the sadly... The love and the support that everybody and the attention that I would get from abusing myself with these savage cheat meals and savage, you know, volume sessions like that got the most attention that got the most exposure that got people to think I was the better coach that got people to think I was better at like those times are literally when everybody thought like it was the real deal. You know what I mean? And I'm like, God, man, like that is not on you guys. That is on society. That is on all of us. And, it, it, and like, that's just a weird thing to kind of look back at now. And now it's funny because I feel like I've really come away from this back and hip and stuff that I went through for a couple of years. And I'm like getting back into doing the lifting that I used to love. And I'm very much more methodical with it. And I'm crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's that, that maybe I didn't do in the past. And I still was doing an exceptional job. I still could go to any conference, any seminar, any certification. I mean, what happened? I went to two different Strong First certifications, and I was the star in every one. 
And you got these world-famous coaches, even coaches like Dan John. I've been around them and in front of them, and nobody called some of the shit out. Like, that kind of scares me. You know what I mean? I look at that, I'm like, God, man, there's been like two people who have called some stuff out, and they've seen something that like nobody else saw. And just, and then when I think about those people, they get their shit together, man. They look at this at a, br- a bigger picture. So I don't know. We've kind of gone all over the way with that, but you know, it makes it makes sense. It's it is. weird. I think it's good though because when we've talked so much about progress and what that looks like, progression and how to handle that, and that sort of feeds into what that that's the darker side of progression, where you can look like you're in the right spot, the outside world can see that, but you're really not. And so understanding what proper progression is and how to handle it the right way will avoid that dark side yeah. of it, you know, cause you get stuck on that dark side, right? You get stuck there yeah. because of everybody else is feeding into it. You're getting the praise, you're getting the attention or whatever it is. Yeah. You get stuck in that. And so understand how to progress reasonably and rationally and avoiding those extremes will just keep you out of that. So to understand mm-hmm. kind of what that looks like. And so where do you hear when everybody says abs are made in the kitchen? Okay. So we've heard that. Yeah. So then it makes total sense for everybody out there to just, I, of course I advocate daily movement, walking, resistance training, all these things. Your first thing, I don't care how much you move. I don't care if you're exercising. If you really want to get jacked, strong, uh, healthier, lose body fat, whatever it is, get your baseline nutrition in check. Get that functioning, get to where you are, you're feeling good with it. You've got that, you know, that maintenance position in there and you are rolling. Now, before we even go up and down, like we talked about, now we can employ variables like we were discussing, but we didn't discuss these variables. Now I add in resistance training. Oh, I was eating 2000 calories, but now I started resistance training three times a week. Well, guess what? My maintenance might now be 2200 calories. Like you're going to start to find out, oh, wow, like I've been, I've added some exercise in and I'm actually losing weight too fast or something. I need to, well, now you need to bump that maintenance up a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad problem to have. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Now I know you're thinking, but I'm trying to lose weight. We just bumped up a tiny bit. You're actually going to lose weight better because we are raising the maintenance to make sure that that step down isn't too far. Yeah. And so these things cyclically, go together so you've gotten your your nutrition in check your next step would be to just start daily activity i mean i would definitely advocate going on walks and things first so if i had to give a hierarchy here of how to lose fat and keep it off i would say get your maintenance calories in check and figure out how to to be there for a while be comfortable there make that consistent then make sure that you're you're neat Your non-exercise activity is high. Then you just start, that's the old additive of park a little bit farther in the parking lot, enjoy going for a walk here and there. Just start to do things, garden, do things. Like just do things and you will be so surprised at how much that adds up. Mm -hmm. And that is, you've known me for a while now. You've noticed that one thing I've probably adopted in the next last like four years here is advocating just more frequent small movements Mm -hmm. because not only have i realized that with myself but i realize that anybody 
that especially as they get older, anybody I've idolized, but anybody really healthy and in shape, do they never just bullshit around? They move, they enjoy moving, they enjoy to do things. And the only way to enjoy doing things is to take care of yourself when you're doing the other shit. So like you and I can't let jujitsu just beat us down to where we can't get out what we want out of the gym. We can't go on daily walks and stuff because we just don't feel good because it's all that's just not like we're not it's not good. It's not adding health. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you find that that food. Then you start to to build activity into your lifestyle. You know, activity into your lifestyle. Then you can look at resistance training or yoga or a dance class. Like, I don't care. Then go find a hobby that's active, you know? And now you've got three things right there that are, that are literally in a position for sustainable fat loss forever. If you are eating around maintenance of real good foods and you are moving around every single day, going on some walks, nothing just crazy, just moving, getting those steps in. We've talked about the the freakish science that's out there on like 7,000 steps a day. And it is freaky. Yeah. Like how mind-blowing it is. But you start to realize like so many great physique coaches too. They used to take the opposite form of cardio. They used to say like a lot of people would be like, you know, 45 minutes of cardio or this or that. There's a lot of physique coaches that are really good and, and they, they understand what we're talking about. And so they start to say like, I need you at 10,000 steps a day. Like, I don't give a fuck what you do. 10,000 steps. Okay. How do we progress? Well, I need you at 15,000 steps a day this week. I need you at 20,000 steps a day this week. Now we can go back down a little bit. Like they can cyclically start to play with that. But look what they did. They just made somebody more active. They didn't have to go get on a Stairmaster and like sweat. And like, so those little bouts of activity can just, they start to just cascade and, and do so much. And they're easy. And all of a sudden now, even if you're not making it to the gym, you are eating a real food around your maintenance level consistently, and you are moving like a mofo, mm-hmm. just actively feeling good. There's no time restraints on it. There's no bullshit. It's just like you can do whatever. Chances are you're probably going to start losing weight or gain, like whatever it is, you're, you're going to feel great. You're going to do all these things. And then the icing on the cake is a resistance training, man. The icing on the cake is a resistance training. It is just, we view, we can't view that as the way we burn calories and like lose weight. Everything we talked about before is how we do that. The resistance training is to stimulate that muscle to either stay the same or add a little bit more. You know what I mean? But at the very very least, we need to stimulate muscle tissue because that has such a powerful hormonal effect. And it's so powerful as we age, as we get into like longevity as we age. I mean, we might be 40 and 30s now, but guess what? If you start looking at the most important things for people that are 75 and older, it's to preserve lean tissue, hands down. The ability to walk, and preserve as much lean tissue and bone mineral density as they can so they can, you know, survive falling on their hips, survive falling down on their wrists. Like that is what cripples old people. Mm-hmm. And the stronger we are, the harder to kill. But the stronger we truly are is when we get our shit all together. You know, we don't we don't want to be the strong broken guy. 
Like I, that's the fun, that's the irony of this whole conversation because, you know, the strongest I've ever been in my life was the least mobile and capable I've ever been in my life. But it didn't matter because I just did the right events and then it looked good. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's just weird to look at that kind of stuff. But if you do those things, you literally get control of the kitchen and you predominantly make it real food and you're doing that consistently and you add activity into your daily lifestyle, a little icing on the cake with resistance training. And guys, like this is the million dollar recipe for like these are the actual way that like gun to my head make jeff look like this then we start like this i know you want something bigger but like we we literally would this is the way that's a hard way to grasp <laughs> for people they're like oh, i don't know it's boring but, you know the beautiful thing though is i think people are hearing these things mm -hmm. and they're questioning things more mm -hmm. and i've noticed I think it is hard when you get so much information out there. There's thousands of me's saying things similar with their own little taste and their own little thing and their own maybe connection to an organization or product. And we're just pulled in so many directions when the real direction of every real health, healthy person is good lifestyle, good thoughts, good food, lots of activity. <laughs> That'll get Take you there. Take care of yourself. That'll like do that, it. That's it. For sure. Well, this has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. It's good to be back here on the microphone with you. And mm -hmm. we've had a little bit of a break, but we're going to get this Green Strength podcast rolling again. I've been having some of the uh, my Instagram memories popping up of we were just getting started a year ago. So here mm -hmm. we are just over a year and we're going to we're going to keep yeah. it rolling. Yeah, for sure. It's it's it's, it's a fun thing. Um, and just trying to figure out like, you know, I, I've always wanted to just be able to kind of talk and have fun and be able to talk about all sorts of stuff. And, and, uh, I never wanted to feel like it's a, like, this is a total fitness podcast. And I always have to deliver like this information. I want to give you perspective and like, uh, hopefully it just kind of fuels thought processes and like the ability to, because ultimately I think everybody needs to study from everybody and enjoy everybody's stuff and, and, and be critical of all that kind of uh, kind of stuff. I'm not trying to sway people to my opinion. And that's a beautiful thing about it. I feel like my opinion is so basic. And I feel like that a lot of what I preach, why I'm so cocky with it is because I'm like, take this. You find the five best trainers or doctors or people that you think are out there. Find the smartest ones and tell them what I'm telling you. And... I'm going to get a pretty good vote of confidence. Most of them are going to give two thumbs up and say, you know, hey, I might not agree with everything, but I think he's pretty damn sounds pretty damn good. And the irony behind that is I'm just passing along the information that's been passed down to me and learning. Really, I'm actually, I'd say these last couple of years, I had the first time in my life where I started feeling like I was getting older and I was kind of down about it. Dude. And I was kind of like, holy crap, like this is actually like hit. You know? Yeah. And now I've embraced it to where I like love it because now I'm looking and I'm like, man, I remember all those things I thought in my twenties that were, that were on point. But you realize that like everybody that like Pat, like 35 and up that has like value and wisdom in the field 
has been saying this shit and they were trying to tell the 20 year old me. And now I'm telling, trying to tell the 20 year old (laughs) thems that it's like, I know you think that, but like you got like a decade window of opportunity to pull off this shit. And then you're eventually going to be on this side. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. And the, the beautiful thing about it now is that we can share so much information that hopefully we can change that that period of time where those those young coaches because it is with the instagram and stuff it is the young coaches with as little experience but they're motivated like when i didn't have that much experience and i was younger i was driven and i was motivated and i wanted to tell you what i knew and i wanted to tell you the science that i know and i want to tell you why other people were wrong even though i might not have had to like firsthand experience on i'm not talking like five friends i'm talking like hundreds of adults you know and like start to see things over time so it's really fun to be able to like kind of play this now and really look at how this stuff even the meathead side of me even the the psycho side of me that likes this stuff it's like how does it all come together and ultimately we're enriching lifestyles like you know i mean it might to somebody it might be a bench press pr but like that's a psychological moment. Like that's a lifestyle achievement. That's something that means a value. And so if we can get them to achieve that in a manner that brings the most value to their life as well, then that's that's the name of the game. And that's what happens across the board in all these sports. That's what happens across the board in strength conditioning and whatever it is. Yeah. It's awesome. Yes. Well, Coach Luke, as we get out of here, uh, I want to take a moment here and give a big congratulations to our friend and friend of the podcast, previous guest, Vaughn Wood. Uh, Vaughn <laughs> Wood, he's Brazilian now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, this guy, right? Go back and listen. It was like episode three. We had Vaughn on, and it's a fantastic story about his battle with addiction and where he's at. And he is down just today, uh, has gone down to Brazil, an American traveling to Brazil to fight in the Brazilian nationals in jiu-jitsu and got himself a gold medal. Over so 10 years sober now. Over 10 years sober. He and just then, hit that. Just hit that And recently. this is somebody who was on the brink of death yeah. multiple times. Um, yeah. So if anybody is feeling down and you feel like you're unfortunate, our friend literally was dead multiple times. Yes. Yeah. Now in Brazil with his son and they are both competing and Mookie's next. Like yeah. Mookie's got to have a good Sunday, but Vaughn did it today. That's the kind of shit that should inspire people and uh, get people thinking. Like it doesn't matter where I'm at in life. If I start putting, you know, in the go back to it, he put himself around good people and he believed in the system and he stayed doing that for a decade now. And he's built a foundation that can't be destroyed. Yeah. Like he's built the foundation. There's nothing spectacular outside of that. That's what makes him great. That's what makes him like, that's, that's, that's the name of the game. Man. And one of those extraordinarily mentally tough people that, that we kind of talked about earlier. So a lot of love for Vaughn. So shout out to him and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. really excited for him. So yeah, congratulations. Absolutely. So coach, give him one more time. How can they find you out there in the internet? You guys can find me at green strength IV or the website is greenstrengthhq.com. Um, Green Strength IV on Instagram there. Uh, we also, this will probably be out a little bit before, but on May 21st, we will be having a free kettlebell um, class 
Hiley Howard and I will be teaching it with the Liberty Bell crew. So be on the lookout on my Instagram or the Liberty Bell's Instagram or Hiley's Instagram, and we will be posting that stuff. And if you hear this, reach out to us and we will give you the specifics. And we want you to come and hang out and ask many questions and hang out and do whatever. It's free for you. So come. It'll be fun. We just did one last weekend. It was a blast. I had a great time. So definitely get that on your calendars. It's going to be an excellent time. Yes. And with that, we'll see you next time right here on the Great Shake Podcast. Woo.